Guys, last year, Code 42 with their combined products hit 120 million bucks of revenue. They sold off a 50 million, or sorry, a 70 million dollar revenue stream for 250 million bucks to a private equity group. Joe's now in a very good defensible position with a bunch of cash on the balance sheet and the product left behind, which is a product they're very excited about at Code 42, doing still 50 million bucks of revenue. That was a year ago, targeting 20% year over year growth. We'll put them, if they hit it, at 60 million in ARR this year. We'll see what happens there. They got 800 customers on that product, several paying uh, more than a million per year, which is great. 220 folks on the team, 30 quota carrying reps as they continue again to build products here to make sure that internal employees don't accidentally or or intentionally uh, take files from your company into their next gig. Hey folks, my guest today is Joe Payne. He's the president and CEO of Code42, a leading data security company that focuses on reducing the risk of data leakage from insider threats. With more than 20 years of experience as CEO, he's a proven track record leading high growth technology companies uh, over a long period. Previously, he served as CEO of Eloqua, eSecurity, and eGrail, and as president of iDefense. Joe, you ready to take us to the top? Let's go. All right. So Code42, I guess, help us understand how you're helping big, I assume SaaS companies, companies in general, prevent insider threats. Is it social engineering? Is it team training? Is it code exclusively? What is it? Yeah, it's really interesting, Nathan. Um, a lot of security is focused on the external threats. It's on the, it's on the bad guys on the outside. And that's, it's easy in the sense that you can, when somebody tries to breach your network, they are a bad person and you can hit them with the hammer and you can isolate their network traffic or their machine or something like that. Um, and security people are really attuned to those kind of threats and, and they're growing and they're a big deal and we need to pay attention to them. However, um, if you look at what actually happens in terms of data loss in an organization, most data loss actually comes not from external actors, but from insiders, from employees, from contractors. Um, sometimes malicious, sometimes ac- accidental, sometimes sort of in the middle. And so what we see is that about 60% of employees admit that they took data from their last company to help them in their current job. And um, and that's the 60% that admit. And our data pretty much shows that it's almost 100% of people, especially when they leave a job, take a bunch of data with them. So we founded this company sort of inside another company. We founded this product called Insider. Uh, we built it from scratch starting about five years ago um, to really tackle that problem and give visibility for security people into, hey, who's moving stuff to Dropbox? Who's putting stuff on a thumb drive? Who's uh, you know opening up a window in Gmail and emailing themselves some source code or customer list or, or, or things like that? And so, um, we built this product to give great visibility. And also, you know, we're, we're people uh, that like building great cultures. So part of what we've come at this is with the strategy to help course correct employees and contractors to not do things they shouldn't do. Maybe not go against their, you know, work, not be their worst self and take a bunch of things they shouldn't. And so we provide part of what we do is also provide a lot of education and positive reinforcement for people that um, to do the right thing. So that's a key part of our strategy also. Understood. And, and what do you charge for this technology on average per month or per year? Well, that's a, you know, we sell to organizations from as few as 200 people. Uh, our largest customer has over 120,000 employees. So what we charge really depends on your size. But think about it as, you know, maybe, um, you know, $100 a year, $120 a year per employee. Um, that's just a good rule of thumb. But obviously, it depends on 
you know, the sophistication of the product that they buy, how much, how many features they buy, et cetera. I mean, our product, as an example, connects to things like salesforce.com. That's an option you can have. So you can see who's exfiltrating data using Salesforce. Our product connects to your OneDrive, your G Drive account to see who's publicly sharing documents that they shouldn't share there because that's where all our data sits. You know, our, our, yeah, no, our the product, product- that product makes tons of sense. I, we hear about this all the time. Um, I guess just to just to hone in there a bit, though, a company with 120,000 employees using you, if you build them the full rate of 100 bucks per seat, <laughs> you're doing the same math I am, right? We'd love for you to be making $12 million a year on that contract. Maybe you are. What would you say the average, though, customer paying you is paying per seat? Is it more like maybe 20 per seat, 50? Oh, no, no. The average is closer to 80 bucks a seat. So, you know, there's, there's comp- companies that are paying us more than that, uh, obviously, but and there's companies that buy 120,000 seats, they, they get to price, they get a better price as you would yep. expect. So um, it's it's all over the map, but we have a number of multi-million dollar a year customers for sure. And, um, you know, this is a multi-million dollar problem. It's um, our research shows that the average breeze costs an organization $16 million. Yep. Think about that. So a big company is going to pay a lot of money if they have a breach from an insider. So we're, we're a small drop in the bucket compared to that. Oh, what's going on there, YouTube? Good to see you guys. Now imagine this. You love watching these interviews with SaaS founders, but imagine if we took all of the valuation data out from over 2,807 interviews I've done manually. Saves you a lot of time. Well, we've done this. We've built it into the beautiful interface inside of FounderPath. Check this out. I'll show you how you can access this in a second, but you log in, you connect your Stripe account, you see your valuation real time, you can see what it changed over the past 88 days, and even set goals for valuation this year. Now, the secret valuation is there's many different ways to value a SaaS business. So the reason you're going to see three or four different valuations inside of your FounderPath dashboard, this is all free, by the way, is because depending on who's doing the buying of your SaaS company, you're going to get a different valuation. A VC is going to pay a different valuation. Private equity firm is different. If you're going to do a minority sale, that's different. And if you sell the whole business, that's a different valuation. You can see all those when I hover over here. Right, So the teal is what a VC would pay. Yellow is what private equity. And red is if you sold the whole thing outright. Now, what's cool about this is this is not built off random data. Again, you guys hear these interviews on YouTube. All these data are built from real-time valuation data points founders share with us on the show. So traction, 1.2 million. Seed round, 3.7 raise. They sold 22% of their business. Go in here and filter by the event. Maybe you only want to see companies that have sold the whole business Well, here are a bunch that have been acquired, the valuation and the multiple. Maybe you're going out right now and you're raising your seed round. Well, go in here and look at all the recent seed deals that went down, what they raised, what valuation they raised at, and what percent that they sold. There's never been a larger data set of SaaS valuations than what you can get now inside of FounderPath, and we're thrilled to bring it to you. All right, we're going to go back to the YouTube video here in a second, but if you want to check this tool out, if you want to jump in and sign up, you can check it out for free to get your valuation at this link, this link, founderpath.com forward slash products forward slash valuations, or if you go to founderpath.com and hover over products, click on get your valuation here and go ahead and sign up to give it a whirl. Again, all that valuation data live right inside the platform. I hope to see you there. All right, let's jump back into the interview. Yeah, that makes sense. And what would you say, you know, you have teams as small as 200 and as big as 120,000. What would you say your sweet spot is? A thousand person team? What would, what would an average be there? 
Well, you know, Nathan, the thing I love about SaaS software is it's democratized software for everybody. So the same awesome product that I'm giving people, uh, you know, at 120,000, I'm giving to a 200 person company. So I'm giving them that same power and capability. Um, so I'm not going to define a sweet spot per se. I will say the people that are buying fastest today from us are mid-market companies. So think of that as companies between sort of 1,000 and 5,000 employees, because yeah. honestly, they're making fast decisions today and it's much easier for them to make decisions. Today in this economy, big companies are taking forever to make a decision on new technology purchases. So again, that if, if you talk about who's buying today, I would say the sweet spot is in that 1,000 to 5,000. Sweet spot or medium. I understand there's obviously edges on both sides, but a thousand person company wanting to sign up with, with Joe Payne's code 42, you know, paying 80 bucks a seat, we can sort of think about, okay, these average contract values are called 80 yeah. to 120 K on yeah. average, something like that's that. Right. Yeah, that's right. Give me more of the backstory here because you said something interesting. You said you started this inside of a company called Inside. Uh, did you lead the spin out or help me understand how you got this intellectual property outside of a parent co? So, so I joined a company called Crash Plan um, in 2015. Our, it was called Code 42, but the product was called Crash Plan. It was an endpoint backup product, and the board hired me to figure out what we were going to do with that product long term. And that's an endpoint backup product. So basically, think backing up all your data from your laptop into the cloud. Um, and the idea was that, like, look, that long term is going to go away because most people keep their data in the cloud today. You keep your data in OneDrive, you keep your data in G Drive, etc. And so we set out to figure out how we could use all the skills we had to build a, a company that added a lot of value in the market. And, and what we, year was that? And that was 2015. Okay. And so we really uh, spent a lot of time doing research. And one of the things we discovered is that the, the DLP market, the data loss prevention market, was ripe for disruption because everyone that we talked to hated their DLP. And they, th that product didn't work and they had bought, spent a lot of money on it, but they weren't actually using it and they, they weren't solving the problem. And so we we built a product, we launched it in 2017 and we've been growing it pretty aggressively since then. We grew it enough, uh, we're over 50 billion in ARR last year on that one product, on the new product. You said, 50, 50, you said 50 million, right? Five zero, yeah. So that yeah. was enough for us to feel comfortable to we actually then sold the crash plan product. So we incubated this idea inside a company uh, with a, what I would call an entirely new founding team, founding uh, technical team, et cetera. We built this new product, we grew that new product. And then we last summer, we um, we sold crash plan to a private equity firm. And, and basically we don't do that anymore. We only do this, uh, this new thing. So we're completely focused on insider threat and, um, and data protection now. Okay, got it, got it, got it, got it. Okay, so Code 42 no longer has CrashPoint. A private equity group bought that, I think it was Millpoint Capital, right? Did a carve out there, right. took that on. Okay, and why get rid of that if it was just like printing? I mean, it sounds like it was a really great business. It was a good business, um, but it was a declining business. And, um, and the people that you sold to in that business were uh, IT people. And you were selling to old organizations that hadn't moved to the cloud yet. So you could see the where that business was going to go long term. And also we were selling now to security people. So um, our focus is on a completely different buyer solving a completely different problem. And one thing I would tell any entrepreneur is you better be focused. You be if you want to disrupt an industry, if you want to win in a space, you can't be a uh, you can't have 
lots of different products doing lots of different things. You can do that when you become bigger and you're CrowdStrike or you're, you know, GE or you're some large company, you can you can have lots of different products in your bag. But if you want to disrupt the market and win in that market, you better be very focused on it. So that's why we did that. And it made a lot of sense for us. And we sold it for $250 million. So we put that's a lot of cash on the balance sheet. Yeah. That's great. Okay. So that's all on the balance sheet. Now, so I guess what was left behind though at Code 42? I mean, was there like no revenue after the 50 million was sold off or what was left? Sorry, Nathan, you got the, I messed you up on the numbers. The 50 oh. million was the insider product. It's the product that we kept. That product is at 50 million. The old uh, crash plan product was another 70 million or so of ARR. So we were 120 million. Ah. We got down to, to 50 million. So that's what's, our our belief once we got to 50 million is we should focus entirely on this new product and we should sell the, the crash. I see. Product. I see. Okay. This makes loads of sense now. Got it. Okay. And and so where do you think the code 42 product will end this year in terms of revenue? I mean, do we get up to 55, 60? You think we have three more months left in the year? We'll see. We got some really big deals in the pipeline. And so we're, we're we'll definitely grow this year. Um, and you know, we'll, I, I don't want to jinx it, so I'm not going to give you any actual <laughs> numbers. You'll have to come back next year for that story. But it's been um, it's been a pretty exciting process. I think the thing that's most exciting for us is the number of security companies that use Code 42 today. How so, many is that? How many folks use you today? Well, we have over 800 customers today on paying, right? on paying customers. That's the only kind we have. Um, and sure some people some people get creative there and say, well, they're free customers, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, no. We, we, you know, it's interesting because we, our product requires a lot of, uh, you have to install our product. You have to put, there's a sensor that sits on the endpoint. There's no sort of PLG model where the average person could just download it themselves. Also, because we're looking at what insiders are doing, there's also no natural growth for an insider to say, hey, I want to put a agent on my machine to see, you know, how I'm exfiltrating my own data. Um, in fact, most insiders don't want that on the machine at all because they want the opportunity if they, when they leave, if they need to, to, to take things with a, with them. So I mentioned security companies, security companies, there's probably 30 security companies using code 42 today. And, and they're, they're the, they're the big names in the space. It's people like CrowdStrike and, and Okta and Ping and Rapid7 and Splunk and Cisco. And so it's, we have really, really good customers. And they're the smartest people in security, and they're using us to solve this problem. So it's a, I think it's a real validation for us as the, as the folks you want to talk to, um, just to solve what is a really difficult problem. And Joe, you said you're doing 50 million bucks of revenue today at Code 42, and you mentioned you have many million folks paying you more than a million dollars per year. Can you share how many? Are we talking like two or three or more like 10, 12, 15? Nathan, so I've run a public company, and what what's What's great about a public company is that it's public and you can share stock. But what stinks about it is you have to share all your actual data with people. What's fabulous about being in a private company is I don't have to answer questions like that for you because I've got a you lot of competitors. Just told me, you just told me what you sold for. You told me your revenue. You told me a bunch I'm of data. Transparent. I'm pretty transparent. But now you're, di- now you're diving into, tell me how many actual multi-million dollar customers you have. And I've actually got some pretty good competitors in our, in our space who are targeting my customers, yeah. actively targeting my customers. So I have to be a little bit more careful about that because I, I don't want to help them um, come after us. That's okay. what happens when you're the leader in the space. You know, when you're the leader in space, you should expect everyone, you put a case study up, everyone's going to knock on their door and say, we can do it for half the price. And we've got one of those competitors in our space. Who is that competitor? 
Now, Nathan, why should I give them any press? I'm never going to do that. You're going to have to find them yourself. But just Guys, Joe is trained. He is press trained. I'm going to keep pushing, though. This is good stuff. Walk me through how you plan to grow Code 42, right? So so what's the team look like today? And are you doing an outbound sales motion, inbound? What's it look like? Great question. So we have uh, we have, we have a... Uh, uh, we have a outbound, obviously everybody's doing, we all do inbound. You have to do inbound, right? If you're crazy, if you're not to, we're, um, we're aggressively looking at intent in the market. So we use tools like six cents to look for who's interested in buying it in this space. Um, we have a new business sales team that's entirely dedicated to new business. And we have a customer success team that's entirely uh, dedicated to make our customers successful and to grow their accounts. So um, we, you know, these are uh, a lot of SaaS companies follow this model today. It's something that I helped pioneer when I was running Eloqua to to se- to separate those two functions and have what we at the time coined as hunters in the forest, which is your new, uh, you know, new business people, but then also hunters in the zoo, which are people that are hunting for business in your install base. Joe, what's a full team size today at the company? Company is about 220 people. Okay, and how many would you say, just based off memory, a quota carrying sales reps? Uh, I would say there's probably 30 of those, 25, 30 of those. Do you feel good about how you have their plan structure in this new macroeconomic environment in terms of their quota, the OT to quota ratios, things like that moving into next year? Or have you had to make some adjustments? I think we're all looking at quotas uh, given the macroeconomic environment. And, you know, the macro has been interesting for security, especially because a security in the last few years has sort of had a blank check. You can, if you needed a product, you just ask for it and you got it. And I've seen, I've been involved in two deals this year where procurement overruled security on, on, on the deal. And I have never seen that. I've never seen a procurement person, you know, um, tell a security uh, leader that they can't have a product that they wanted, that we're going to go with a cheaper product. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a really, that's a sea change. And I think the data showing right now, security budgets are growing about 5% in 2023. And, you know, historically over the last 10 years, security budgets grow 30 to 35%. So this has been a really tough year in security. So for me and my team, the way we're looking at it, we'll we'll relook at quotas next year going into 2024. We'll look at territories. We'll make sure there's enough business there for our for our teams to uh, to do well. Two hundred fifty million bucks on the balance sheet from the sale last year. I assume you saw most of that in the bank. Are you looking to be opportunistic in a downturn with M and A? Always. What are you buying? I mean, what are you interested in? We haven't bought anything. And again, this is all about focus. So we, you know, it, it's a very high bar for us. You know, it's a very high bar. You're going to look for somebody that augments something that you already do. Uh, but, you know, it's worth buying because you, you it not as opposed to building. And so far in all the analysis we've done, we every time we look at something that we really get excited about, it, we end up saying, well, we could build most of what they have. Or we don't want to take on their uh, customers or their challenges. So we're being very judicious about that. It's the other thing that hasn't happened yet in security. It's interesting that the budgets are down to five percent growth, but we haven't seen valuations. The valuation expectations for a lot of companies are still pretty high because people raised money during difficult times. I mean, during good times, and so they still have money on the balance sheet. And until people start running out of money, valuation expectations uh, are going to still be high. So things are. That's a long way of saying things are not cheap yet. 
Yeah. I guess going back really quick to your guys' capital structure story, obviously a nice big uh, moment last year with the sale, but um, your guys, I think your first round was like 20, wasn't it back in 2012 with Excel for 50 million bucks, but you said the company launched 2015. So what was going on there? Well, the company's been around since 2001. So a crash plan has been around for a long time. So the okay. previous uh, founders raised money from Excel in 2012. And that was the, the only round that, that they did. And then I joined in 2015 and then raised money in a B round in 2015. And um, but I think that round was 85 million. And we, you know, we use that money. We're pretty cash flow. I run what I call the East Coast offense uh, as opposed to the West Coast offense, which is you pretty much spend what you have to grow your business as opposed to, um, you know, overspending early, you know, uh, early. So we try to run it. So we've been pretty capital efficient uh, throughout the process and we'll continue to try to be that way. Does that mean this year closing out 2023, you guys will be what plus or minus 5% EBITDA margin somewhere in that range? Now, one, um, I'm still, I'm still the same person that was trained 10 minutes ago, Nathan. So I'm not going to tell you all that stuff. Our, 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 our EBITDA is still being affected by the separation of our two businesses. So we just sold that business last year. So we're still working through some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll, 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 we'll be a consumer of capital this year. Um, but again, we're careful of, of, of how we use our money and how we use our resources. I've never. I've never sold a company for a quarter billion dollars. What would eat cash 12 months after that, you know, at the company that just got rid of that company and sold it? Wouldn't the new company be the one sort of taking the cash hit there? Or help me understand that. Well, I, I think it's really all about this, uh, our, our, the size of our business today. So our business today is probably a little bit bigger because we have people, um, because we were a $120 million company and now we're a $50 million company. So we're a little bit bigger than probably most People our size. People didn't go with the deal. I would have thought the buyer would have taken a bunch of the people. Some did, but a very small percentage of the people. Oh, I see. I see. It's, it's, uh, again, and, and again, it depends really on how we end up the year. You know, the great thing about the, the, the SaaS business, almost all of us charge in advance upfront. So it's a very cash efficient business and that we get a lot of cash. If we close a deal on November 30th, we'll get a year's worth of cash from that customer. Um, but, and then we'll just deliver them service for a year. So it's October still. So we have a couple months left and we are, we've got a few good things in the pipeline. So a lot of how our, our year will be determined is going to happen over the next couple months. Yeah. Joe, a lot going on at code 42, but when you were setting your goals a year ago, what were you hoping to grow by year over year percentage wise? Yeah, I think our, our sort of, uh, original uh goals were like most SaaS companies our size sort of 20 to 25 percent uh growth and you know we'll see how we do on that yeah i mean uh, the rule of 40 is obviously very interesting right if growth is lower then you got to juice get 20 percent EBITDA margin basically to get there right so i mean is when, when you talk i don't know if jmi is still on the cap table but when you think about how to position the company for the next couple of years do you want to get back to the rule of 40 at some point and if so what what, what is a split between growth and cash flow you think I think all of us want to have the rule of 40. I was talking to some Vista folks uh, a few months ago and they go, we like the rule of 50. And I was like, well, who doesn't like the rule of 50? <laughs> like, who doesn't like the rule of 50? So I, I think, yeah, we all aspire to get to get to uh, 40% uh, growth plus EBITDA. And, you know, honestly, I think if, uh, you know, growth is out of style right now, 
But I, I think long term growth always trumps uh, for a SaaS business because the the, the way the economics model, the economic model works is if you're growing at a high rate, great things can happen. So, um, you know, I would always err on the side of trying to be high on, on that growth. Uh, and then, you know, you want to monetize, and you want to be profitable at the right time. And, yeah. you know, different companies have done it different ways. Uh, we've, you know, Salesforce proved that you can get to a billion dollars and just have a ton of leverage in the model. And um, I don't think the market is going to stand for that mm-hmm. for most people today. But I do think that that um, that I still I still believe, and I know it's unpopular this month, but the growth trumps profitability uh, right now, especially if you're early in a market and you're and you're uh, not at scale. I mean, we're not a hundred we're not a hundred million dollar company today, and so you know there's still a big grab, and you want to you're going to keep these customers three, five, seven years, and so you want to make sure that you're you're the market leader uh, come come the time that the market's got a couple of hundred million dollar players in it. You mentioned you talked to Vista recently. Are you in talks to sell the rest of the company to them? No, no, no. I was just, you know, I meet with people all the time. You know, that was a casual breakfast. There was nothing going on. I was just, I, I, I think I, you know, for your listeners you know, and your, your watchers of the podcast is you should always be talking to everybody in your, in your market space, uh, particularly strategics who think about how they're building their businesses and, you know, what holes you might fill and what innovation you have. And I think sometimes entrepreneurs are worried that if they talk to a big company, if they talk to, you know, a Splunk or a a Cisco or an Oracle or somebody like that, that they're going to steal their ideas. And um, in my experience, those companies have trouble executing on their own, like building their own products. They don't have the capability they don't have the capability to just to listen to small companies like us steal our ideas and go execute them better than we do. And so I'm always telling people like, you, you know, get in there, make sure they know what you're doing and how they're doing it. So I do that with, with strategics and people that are in our space. Cause we, you never know those partnerships are going to come, but I also like to meet with the private equity people because they have great insights and, you know, Vista is probably the largest software company in the world today. So they're a great company you know, to hear how they're thinking about business and to hear how about how they're thinking about, um, you know, how to manage their companies is is super interesting. Yeah. Joe, I want to wrap up here. So just rapid fire stuff really quick to build out the revenue growth story. I don't know. Were you around when the company hit their first million of revenue or you joined after? Well, I was around when we heard for the, pro- for the product that we sell today. Um, I was absolutely around because the, the, the only product we have today is Insider and we hit our first million in revenue about four years ago. Okay, got. I guess just to keep the story the same, when you have the combined companies, though, do you remember the first like maybe twenty five million a year, or just some some endpoint in terms of before fifty million of revenue? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I was I was here when Crash Plan was a fifty million dollar company, but I wasn't here when it was a 50, when it was a twenty five million dollar company. Okay. I don't know if that answered your question. That's helpful. That's helpful. Okay, let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one uh, book you're reading today. I, I just finished uh, Infinite uh, whatever on Sam Bankman Freed. Uh, so uh, that was good. But I also just about right before that, I just finished Covenant of Water. So I would recommend that book uh, highly uh, to people in the tech industry, even though it has nothing to do with tech. It's all about India. And uh, there's so many folks of Indian descent in the tech industry. I, I found it to be a great, uh, a great read. Joe, number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying today? Um, you know, I'm, 
I'm following Jamie Dimon more closely than I normally do because of the larger economic issues. And so he's been uh, vocal recently, but but he's not a tech exec that someone that that I would emulate uh, on the product. But there's there's actually I'm in a CEO group with about 40 tech CEOs and they're all fantastic. And I'm not going to call any one of them out because they would all be like, why didn't you mention me? But I, I listen to group. Like an EO group. What's that? Like an EO group. What's the name of that group? It's called the Enterprise Software CEO Council. Oh, cool. Okay, very cool. Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building Code 42? I think we, you know, we use Sixth Sense better than most do, and it's been super helpful for us to uh, to build our business. The number four. my favorite online tool is Eloqua. Okay, yeah, yeah. I just was drinking Irish whiskeys with with Mark Organ in Dublin at Sassac a couple of days ago, so I think you maybe joined after him, but. Um, all right. Number four, that's a very deep story. Yes. Uh, number four, we actually have that story. I recorded that with Mark. I think, gosh, it must've been four, three, four years ago. But anyway, back to the point. Number four, Joe, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Seven. Okay. And situation, married, single kids. Married four kids. Wow. Um, been married. I've been with the same woman for, uh, 40 years. Wow. That's impressive. And how old are you, Joe? I'm 58. Last question, something you wish you knew when you were 20 years old. How important culture is to uh, to the CEO job. That's awesome. Guys, last year, Code 42 with their combined products hit 120 million bucks of revenue. They sold off a 50 million, or sorry, a 70 million dollar revenue stream for 250 million bucks to a private equity group. Joe's now in a very good defensible position with a bunch of cash on the balance sheet and the product left behind, which is a product they're very excited about at Code 42, doing still 50 million bucks of revenue. That was a year ago, targeting 20% year over year growth. We'll put them, if they hit it, at 60 million in ARR this year. We'll see what happens there. They got 800 customers on that product, several paying uh, more than a million per year, which is great. 220 folks on the team. 30 quota carrying reps as they continue again to build products here to make sure that internal employees don't accidentally or, in, or intentionally uh, take files from your company into their next gig. Joe, appreciate your time. Thanks for taking us to the top. Thanks, Nathan. Appreciate being here. One more thing before you go. We have a brand new show every Thursday at 1 p.m. Central. It's called Shark Tank for SaaS. We call it Deal or Bust. One founder comes on, three hungry buyers, they try and do a deal live and the founder shares backend dashboards, their expenses, their revenue, ARPU, CAC, LTV, you name it, they share it. And the buyers try and make a deal live. It is fun to watch every Thursday, 1 p.m. Central. Additionally, remember, these recorded founder interviews go live. We release them here on YouTube every day at 2 p.m. Central. To make sure you don't miss any of that, make sure you click the subscribe button below here on YouTube, the big red button, and then click the little bell notification to make sure you get notifications when we do go live. I wouldn't want you to miss breaking news in the SaaS world, whether it's an acquisition, a big fundraise, a big sale, a big profitability statement, or something else. I don't want you to miss it. Additionally, if you want to take this conversation deeper and further, we have by far the largest private Slack community for B2B SaaS founders. You want to get in there. We've probably talked about your tool if you're running a company or your firm if you're investing. You can go in there and quickly search and see what people are saying. Sign up for that at NathanLacka.com forward slash Slack. In the meantime, I'm hanging out with you here on YouTube. I'll be in the comments for the next 30 minutes. Feel free to let me know what you thought about this episode. And if you enjoyed it, click the thumbs up. We get a lot of haters that are mad at how aggressive I am on these shows, but I do it so that we can all learn. We have to counter those people. We got to push them away. Click the thumbs up below to counter them and know that I appreciate your guys' support. All right. I'll be in the comments. See ya.